0: What's up everyone, welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host Ryan Kramer and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard earned money. Each episode on here will feature leaders in the digital space to help entrepreneurs grow their knowledge and understanding of the Amazon and e-commerce world. Let's get started what's up everyone i'm your host ryan kramer and welcome to episode 76 of crossover commerce presented by ping pong payments hope you all like that new intro that we created today so shout out to my teammates for putting together that awesome new introduction but if you are new to this show welcome this is P- uh crossover commerce we love having different experts in the amazon and e-commerce space on the show today is no different but quickly before we get into things Ping Pong, about Ping Pong Payments, we provide marketplace sellers and entrepreneurs global solutions for controlling their domestic and international funds. An account with us enables companies to significantly reduce their costs when receiving or making international payments all in one platform. uh, That helps increase operational efficiencies, saves you time, and allows sellers to manage their business profits in one single source. For more information, uh, feel free to check out that link below. More than happy to educate you on who ping pong is, what we do, and you can also save money if you're an international or e-commerce seller. That being said, I'm really excited today. If you're watching us live, thank you for watching us live on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter. We appreciate that. Um, Make sure that you go ahead and like, share, and follow this episode. We want everyone to be aware of all the great insights and tips and tricks that we can bring to the Amazon e-commerce space. But if you aren't watching this live and you happen to catch us later on, thanks for watching us. We appreciate you, Team Replay. Um, But go ahead and share and tell us what you think below. Because this is live and because we do this show uh, with our guests in the Amazon e-commerce space, we love asking questions. So if you're in the audience, you're listening and you just have some point of clarification you want to be um, answered or you have a question or you just want to say hi, feel free to do that uh, in the comments, in the social media posts. Below, and then we will be able to see those. Throw them up on screen, and make sure that we uh, give you a shout out as well. But if you do watch this later on or listen to this later on, you can find us on Amazon, uh, Amazon Podcasts, uh, Shop, uh, Shop, uh, Spotify. Excuse me, not Shopify, Spotify, Google, or uh, wherever truly you download can download a podcast. That's where we will be as well. But because it's live again, we will keep things rolling. So tell us what you're thinking below and share and ask your questions but about our guest today um he is an amazon seller he's also use your personality has his uh tips and tricks that he shares with all sorts of uh different guests and people himself being successful on amazon all the way from conception product sourcing uh to product ideation all the way to potentially hopefully he will exit his business uh down the road we'll ask him here uh on our show and then um but he is the YouTube sh- uh, channel itself is called Sourcing Monster. So, welcome to Crossover Commerce, Tomer David of Sourcing Monster. Tomer, what is going on, man? How are you? Good, good. How about yourself? Man, it's a, it's been a, it's been a day. It's already midway through the week, and I swear, like, there's so much stuff. Like, beginning on the East Coast, you're on the East Coast, right? You're in Florida. Yes. Yes. So, it, it, I, I swear, like, I wake up to like a hundred different messages and different texts because e-commerce doesn't sleep right <laughs> it's it's people are answering you from all over the world so it's it's a beautiful thing but my gosh when you wake up is it's go time
1: yeah yeah and i like the new intro i really like it so it's thanks um, man it's
0: I, I i saw it yesterday literally just downloaded it and i'm like well we're gonna find out what it looks like right now <laughs> yeah it's so, uh, yeah no i pre- i appreciate it so yeah, thanks for, for thanks for coming to the show. So, for uh, for people who are listening uh, to this or maybe don't know maybe about you or haven't checked out your YouTube page, who's Tomer David? Like, uh, like, how did you get where you are today?
1: So, uh, first of all, thank you for having me in the show. Really appreciate yeah. it. I do watch your show and uh, some of the other guests that you had here, and I'm trying to really you know take action from every video that you uh, publish. So you're a great uh, help and uh, support to the community. Uh, as Appreciate far as myself, that. Uh, yeah of course so as far as myself I'm Tomer I'm originally from Israel. I moved to the states eight years ago um, been in New Jersey because we had a family business, a factory for diamond jewelry uh, e-commerce business where we like made the orders directly from the, the factory to the customer uh, and it was great experience. I learned so many things about manufacturing about online marketing, and uh, really about business in general and uh, after doing this for a while I decided that it's just too too much for me as far as uh, it's very demanding business you have to manage people you have to really be responsible for you know a very expensive inventory you have to be there pretty much every day you can just uh, leave for a vacation just like that so it was very demanding and I really wanted to make a change um, making money online or selling stuff online wasn't new to me. So, you know, jumped right to Amazon after like a month of research on where to focus. Uh, it was really a hard, uh, choice to choose whether to do like affiliate, uh, um, you know, marketing to Amazon FBA because I do have background with SEO. So for me doing the affiliate marketing was something that, you know, I was, uh, wasn't sure whether to do amazon or this at the end of the day i decided to go with amazon because i felt you can grow it really fast um without investing too much money and that that was true um selling for the last three and a half years and also started my youtube channel where i share back and give back to you know the community community
0: pretty much yeah man so where the where the name sourcing monster come from like i'm curious Um,
1: so you know i made a list of uh names and i you know my style and the way that i operate the business is really like with very aggressive growth and and i, I felt really good connection with like sourcing which is you know sourcing products from china and monster like doing it like a monster <laughs> that's how oh I hey that's all know. it
0: takes right it's just like a couple uh, a couple phrases together and then uh you know you got yourself a brand all of a sudden so i love it that's that's really cool uh a brand in terms of that capacity you have a background, so you kind of mentioned this uh, even to me um, when we were talking before him in the diamond industry. What was that? So, like, what did you do specifically in that industry? And what was, like, that that process like? Because I personally don't know too many people who get it. I know, like, the retail stores. But you're talking about selling diamonds online, correct? Is that, yeah. is that a fair assumption? Awesome. What, yeah. what was that like? Mm-hmm. So it's mainly – <coughs> sorry mainly selling like uh,
1: diamond jewelry not just loose diamonds some people right. will buy loose diamonds but mainly selling diamonds directly to customers in the form of like a jewelry rings uh pendants earrings uh bracelets everything that uh you can put diamonds on and how I got into this is through my brother he uh do this business for uh 22 years now and um I was visiting him when I was 17 years old. I came from Israel just to a visit in New York and I was seeing what he was doing and I told him, look, I really want to do it. You have to help me and get me into this. And after a couple of years, I uh, started to work from Israel. We had an office in Israel and in New York uh, in the Diamond Exchange Um, and, you know, started to learn the business. I did uh, a gemological course. I'm a gemologist. Started to understand about gems, about diamonds, about stones and through there just got into the business pretty much
0: so what what so what was the most fascinating thing about working in that industry is it it's just unique you said gemologist so what does that take in order to become a gemologist
1: uh so basically you do a course so you understand you know about stones about mining about how they're being made diamonds uh how to grade them how to really look at a diamond and know what is the quality of it because you have so many different qualities most of the diamonds are industrial not really uh diamonds that you can wear these days there is a completely new trend in the last few years that there are those lab created diamonds which are the same material this it's it's the same thing It just that it grows in a lab in two weeks instead of millions
0: years nature and naturally so diamonds like this is pretty ignorant i mean diamonds grow i thought it was just compressed you know is it compressed how how do you grow a diamond i guess what's that like this is me fascinating so i think other people listening to this be like you growing a diamond tell me more (laughs) yeah yeah so basically there are specific
1: labs that they, they invented a new technology. It's, it's not really new, but in the last few years, uh, last few years, it got cheaper, the technology. So instead of, you know, diamonds are produced like in a very high pressure in nature. So instead of like waiting for that to be happening naturally, they just put uh, layers of like carbon. I don't know exactly how the technology works, Otherwise I would just grow them here in my uh,
0: house. <laughs> just Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, but but it's basically they have like layers of carbon and they just, you know, grow, grow them like in layers. Uh, and it's the same uh, process like they grow in nature. And this hmm. process now takes like two weeks and you can get like beautiful diamonds for like, you know, fraction of the price of the natural ones. I specifically don't like the natural, uh, the, the lab created diamonds because you know at the end of the day people why they buy jewelry and buy diamonds and propose with you know engagement ring with a real diamond because there is sentimental like like uh value to it something that you know if you grow it in a lab why don't you just uh buy like synthetic stone as well it's the same thing you know so for me uh personally i don't i don't i think that the natural thing is is the best but it's becoming very popular because know at the end of the day the same diamond you will give me a lab created diamond comparing a real diamond i i cannot really tell what's like which one is the
0: the natural one because should people should people actually fear if like that's a thing like if you go to a jewelry store and like hey what's the difference between a lab created one that they did there or something that you know obviously mining from the earth well like how, how do people tell so they can't so the stores you have they have to
1: ask the right questions so First of all, if they buy a diamond to make sure that, you know, there is a certificate or appraisal or something that really a lab or someone behind it certified that it's a real diamond. And if it's a lab created diamond, they must disclose
0: that it's a lab created. And if not, then like they're in trouble. Interesting. So is that a trend that you see like growing forward or I say growing forward, going forward, uh, man, pun, pun on words. I didn't even mean to do that going forward is that something that a lot more people are going to do for cost effective reasons or just because you can, you know, I'm assuming at some point you will run out of diamonds naturally out of the earth,
1: right?
0: Not really. Okay. So basically in Russia, they have like millions of diamonds. You just keep
1: it there to keep the value. Um, Mm -hmm. So as far as natural diamonds, even though it's rare, it's not that rare. They have like so many of them, but it takes, it takes, you know, um, a lot of money to mine them uh so so that's why they're so expensive as far as the lab created it's a couple of good years maybe two or three years already that it's becoming very much popular than before and it takes a lot of uh, market share from the natural diamond.
0: interesting so is that something that you'll see like what, what's the e-commerce landscape for for buying jewelry like that is it is it very popular or do you feel that people would rather go into a store touch it feel it see it themselves because you know, for me, when I was picking my uh, my engagement ring for my wife, I was like, I really like you would hear all these commercials like, oh, they're sourced and they're loose diamonds and you can create your own online and things like that. And it, there's something about that. But then there's also the touching feeling, make sure it looks good, you know, like being able to like actually enter. I almost like want to compare that to like retail versus like online shopping, right? Some people just need to touch something in order to purchase it. What's that process like for, you know, jewelry?
1: Yeah, good, good question. So on Amazon, people buy not necessarily because it's the best price, but mm-hmm. because it's very convenient. And the difference with the jewelry online is that people buy because it's cheaper. It's not convenient. It's more convenient to go to a store, look at a ring, and but just buy it. With online, you have that risk kind of that you don't see, you don't feel it. The ring size might be wrong and and you know all of these things so people mainly buy online jewelry because they can save a lot of money comparing to a retail store that's the main reason why they would go and shop online because you you mainly you cut the middleman here a store buys from a factory most of the stores the big stores big chains like K Jewelers, all of this even them not always have their own uh, manufacturing processes This sometimes they just work with contractors and stuff like that. But basically you have a middleman here. So that buying directly from a factory, whether it's online or a store could save you a lot of money. And that's the main reason people basically
0: shop online. Interesting. So what what take you away from this industry? Like you, you said selling online, I was in this business. This is something you always wanted to do, but then you, you, you pivoted, you, you then sold different products on Amazon and, you know, for people who don't know what you sell, obviously you don't have to disclose that. You, you pivoted to a different sort of like entrepreneurial journey in selling on Amazon. So, what was that like? Process like for you?
1: Yeah. So, so like I said, it was very demanding. So, because you deal with diamonds, you can't just trust anyone, and it's uh, it's it's you know, uh, for the generations, it's being kept in families. Why? Because there is a trust issues. Uh, you can just give someone an inventory of five million dollars and expect you know to sleep well at night you know maybe they just disappear it's, it's a small you know items that could worth me like hundreds of thousands uh each diamond so there is the trust issue and because of that you can just leave the office you just have to be there 24 7. even to go to the just to the bathroom or just go to the deli grab a coffee it's just like a small nightmare because you have to close put everything in the say like it's very very uh, business that requires a lot of responsibility and, and it's very demanding and there's always problems when manufacturing it's not like uh, easy manufacturing there's many processes to make a diamond jewelry that starts from the 3d machines that we would print like the 3d models from there, it would be a cleaning process, waxing, casting, dealing with metals, dealing with the, uh, polishers, with setters, with manufacturing people. And they're old school people, so they don't always understand, you know, how things work now. Um, so it was very demanding. Um, and add to the fact that I worked with my brother, and and I'm very dominant person. I like to do things in, in my way and we had a lot of, uh, you know, uh, issues as far as who exactly, like colliding, it's who is getting the decisions and that instead of being together and growing, it actually created these like stress, Um, you know, and we decided at the end of the day, it's just better for me to, you know, move on. And I did move on and I think it was a great decision. really since i moved here to florida and that was exactly when i left the business like eight or nine months ago my life really changed i feel like you know wow having that was months, recent
0: then yeah yeah there's oh. like so much yeah, control. so this is kind of a silly question did you ever have like people who are trying to that you had to thwart like thieves or anything like people trying to take you were you were handling these these diamonds yourself right like where you you guys were touching and had the inventory in hand what was kind of what you said that that would cause like a lot of stress and anxiety for myself but like how do you keep all that secure is it just safe or like what what's the process like for keeping like all that inventory locked up
1: yeah so you have the it's funny because it reminded me a story like it happened all the time so I was living uh, in New Jersey and it was like uh, a complex of three buildings and the office was in the middle in the in the middle there was a commercial area like a mall so we would just literally go down with the elevator and start working for my brother lived in tower three and I was tower one and it was really convenient because we kind of lived in the same uh, complex and because there like q4 always uh, crazy like amazon uh, I, w- I wouldn't sleep, I uh, remember, like starting 6 a.m. till like 12 or 1 a.m. at night, all day at the office. And a big part of it was to produce like 24-7 kind of. And the, the there was the 3D printers, it takes took like six to seven hours to print like a full build of rings or jewelry uh, items. Um, and And it would sometimes finish like at 4 or 5 a.m., and in order to print more, you have to take out the build that was printed and just clean it, right. put it back, and 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 you know uh, have the guy printed it again. And our guy was from Pakistan that he would do the STLs, the design, and all of this. So he would tell me, Tom look, it's finished. Can you come down and uh, uh, clean the build?" And I would go 5 a.m. in the morning, and then uh, they would call me the alarm company because there are certain hours that if someone opened the office. They, they try to call you. And if there is no answer, they just call the police right away. So there was no reception or I don't know what happened. And they couldn't reach me. And I'm like, the office like sleepy And then I see like a team of like a squad team, like with the guns. <laughs> what are you doing? Who are you? Freeze. <laughs> Everyone yeah. on the ground. Freeze kind of. And i uh, like, who are you? What? And I didn't go with my wallet because it's just downstairs. So right. give me your ID. Uh, I, I don't have an ID. Like, what, what do you want? And there was a funny moment, but oh my gosh, um, nothing really serious as far as uh thieves or someone trying to steal. But you know, in this business, you hear these stories all the time. We had the colleague that you know, every day FedEx or UPS would come to pick up the packages. So, one time, uh, thieves came with a FedEx uniform, they knock on the door like they're FedEx pickup, and they you know, they rob them so there are very it's very dangerous and risky business but you know you have all over these buttons like emergency buttons and places that you can press like the the police will come but uh thanks god that i never had any issues myself or no kidding
0: yeah that and i want to give a couple quick shout outs because people had some questions about our story because again i told you about this show it kind of like a it dovetails to uh learning more about this but uh uh again if you if you give us access we'll see who this is but someone said it's calling you their homie uh also shouting out saying you're the man so appreciate whoever this is but we just give us access uh stream yard access and we'll be able to uh see who this is but lisa said good morning uh and then i believe the same person who's watching uh, he said you know you're the man or he or she said you're the man oh it's sharon look at that sharon Sharon. evans so sharon sharon's just not watching on the on the personal channels but anyways um, For the queen. <laughs> so she, she wants I think she wants to know the 3d printer what's the what was the printer printing and that was my natural next question that's, as well
1: that's amazing thing so uh, back um, always to make a ring uh, it's called lost wax process so let's <laughs> say you have this ring right so mm-hmm. you would have a mold a rubber mold usually back then or you have steel mold for like crazy productions but usually it will be like a rubber mold that you would inject wax through a uh you know an injecting machine that would pour like a hot wax and then it will stay in the mold you let it cool for a couple of moments and then you take it off and then you have a like the shape of a ring from a wax From that, you can make it in any metal that you desire. So it depends on what the customer ordered. We would make it in 14 karat, white gold, yellow gold, rose gold, 18 karat, platinum, depends what the customer ordered. So this process requires you to design a metal piece and and a mold, which is a process that takes a lot of time, like 30 days, 40 days. You need a designer that really hammer it these -hmm. days. You can just do it in the computer, in a CAD, design the ring, custom ring. You can put Tomer on the ring. You can make a, uh, anything really. It's crazy. And, and, and just print it out in a 3d machine. Uh, it takes a couple of hours and then you have the design instead of a process that takes 45 days with the crazy designers. Uh, so that really changed the industry. The 3d. So uh, Yeah.
0: You're going to, you're probably then going to see a lot more elaborate designs, a little more things that you couldn't individually craft by hand. Correct. Yes, the technology is amazing and you can... uh, I know people
1: using it for manufacturing too. So let's say you want to make specific, um, you know, item. instead of making a mold that costs thousands of dollars, you can create a 3D model, whether that's in parts, because you can sometimes make it like 10 parts and just uh, assemble it together and then you have like a mold. So in case I would encounter an item that I need a mold for, definitely I would do it in a 3D. Now you don't need to hold a 3D machine because you have so many 3D printing houses. You just send them the CAD design, STL, it will cost you like 30 or $40 to print it
0: out. So- gotcha. Well, speaking of 3D printing, Sharon, uh, speaking of Sharon, Sharon and Barkus and a couple other people in the space, uh, I believe Amy Weiss was also on there. Also all, all of them friends of the show. There's one other individual I'm, I'm missing on the name, but they had a, a awesome topic on their Seller Sessions podcast with Sharon saying about 3D printing and how people are now creating, uh, you know, molds and being able to do that all in their own home. So whether it's a product that they're creating themselves, it's all unique. Um, you can do it in-house, it's cost effective, and you can see if it's going to logistically work out, um, you know, be- before you go to production with it. Yeah. It's fun. That's super fascinating. Do you use that same kind of process that you took from the, from when you were working with diamonds all the way to your own products? Now do you use any sort of I don't use it anymore? Okay. Like not anymore. I don't use it in my
1: Amazon business because I didn't really encounter a, uh, a time that I really need to make like a new design. I usually go for items that already selling and then just, uh, trying to improve them like small improvements nothing really uh like a makeover but you're right with the cost effective because when we started like to, with the 3D printers 8 years ago it was a small it co- called Envision Tech the company where the small machine was cost like $25 that have a printing area that is that small and today it's right. like uh like like i forgot uh not secret lab i forgot the the brand but you get this size of a tray and it costs like four thousand and the printing hour like it was taking 12 hours back then and now it's like three four hours so technology really changed and it's very cost effective these days i agree and uh back then it wasn't like that it was really trouble
0: well yeah and that, i think that's that kind of really nicely segues into product uh you know, kind of testing your product on Amazon for sellers and Sharon again, saying, you know, 3d printing is a bomb. And then of course, Tomer's a genius and I really respect them. So we appreciate the kind of words I'm sure Tomer does too. So thanks Sharon for those, uh, nice words. Uh, but when, when people are, you know, Amazon starts from somewhere, right? You have a great idea of product or you, you did research tools use like a helium tin, use a viral lunch or something like that and you find a, a niche that you you might think, oh, this might be something I can get into. Uh, testing your product or testing an idea yourself, if you want it to be unique, you have to ha- start from somewhere. So where you specifically, are you finding those quote diamonds in the rough? Where are you, how are you finding these products to sell on Amazon to be successful? Like you said, you started Amazon a year or so ago and already being successful and seeing all these different sort of like opportunities afforded to you. What is that like for you? How did you do that process?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I look at it from very similar point of view to, you know, everyone else like these days you can just come up with, you know, same similar items that are already selling. You have to come with your own version, improving it, giving value, uh, and b- to be able to really, you know, kind of market it in the right way. So, my approach is not really changing, like I said, the whole item. So let's say, you know, we're, we're, we're selling a cup. Uh, so instead of just making a new design of a cup or, or making it like really uh, unique, I would try to, I like to really bundle it with some other items to create this value. Um, and, and why? Because just bundling it's very quick. You take the same item and you just add another item, and the sourcing process is very fast. And I'm all about speed and growing fast. So maybe, you know, if I had more time, I would improve it like more and make it, yeah, I would look at the the issues that the product have. Like if it's too thin, people complain, I will make it thicker or, or you know, more solid, more durable. Uh, but I don't really change the entire product. I like to improve it slightly and add value by, you know, adding bundles. And that's that's what I do. So I go for items that have demand, trying to improve them, adding value, making sure that, you know, I'm not really competing with like really good sellers, like that they know what they're doing already. And that's that worked for me. Uh, it worked with my f- uh, first brand <coughs> that now I'm really focusing on uh, increasing profits, like profit mode because I'm, we're uh, going to sell it uh, very soon. Um, and the second brand that I created with toys the same kind of concept, I find products, uh, bundle them with some other uh, complementary items or things that would add value and uh, come to the market. That's that's my approach. So very simple, very straightforward. I'm all about like
0: doing things quick and, and fast and scaling it. So how are you able to make those decisions quickly? Like research can take anywhere from a week or two to a couple of years. Some people just don't pull the trigger. Is it just like you're decisive, you're like, hey, this has all the right markers for for everything I want in a product as the opportunity and you're just going to figure out how to disseminate and make yourself different. What, what are like, how do, you, how do you equate speed in that process? Yeah, uh, good question. So at first it took me like a month
1: to, f- to, to find my second product. The first one I was failing, I was like losing the money. Most of the people at that point, they just quit. I was very close to quit, but something you know told me not to. And i'm glad that it happened and the second product i really took it seriously i invested like a month of product research and find a good one then the second one it's much easier because you're used to know what to look at and how to look at things and i think uh, i'm really really into productivity and being efficient in what i do so i really tweaked my systems uh, to be able to find products very fast so I see this, it happened to me, and because it happened to me, I tried to uh, to, re- to really analyze what I'm doing wrong, why it takes me so much time to find a product, and uh, the way that I tweak the system is doing everything in time blocks. So first of all, I had like three criteria that I'm looking at, and if a product meets this criteria, I just throw it in a file, then just move on, try to add as many products as I can to the pipeline, maybe 20, 30 products, and out of those 20, 30 products, then I will start to uh check the other criteria, other things we check, and, and I would do it in steps. And what it usually happened, and that's how I started, I would find a product that I'm interested in. Uh, it would seem to me like a good item. And then I would start to check all the other things, whether I can uh the pricing is good, get quotes from Alibaba suppliers, uh check if it's patented, check if there is any uh like like how to improve it do everything in one time for each product. So in, in, this took me really a long time. I would find myself spending three, four hours on a product and then realizing, oh, it's not a good item. So I realized that I would just have like three criteria, find as many products as I can, put them in the file, and then move on to get quotes and do only that. Do one thing for all the products, get one quote, and then became much more productive and have so much Higher chance of finding products that way when you do uh, divide it into blocks, doing each time one different task.
0: So, so, that- so for people who are listening, and it, uh, maybe I'll just like clarify this for people you're talking about finding opportunities potentially for up to 30 products, and you're instead of going down the path of like, hey, let me get a sort, of, let, let me give it a quote for one product, and then look and see if I can be successful with one product. You're taking bulk and you're moving this boulder basically down each step process. So you can start picking off and peeling off different things as it doesn't pass these different sniff tests. But you're doing it in bulk because once you get to the end of this funnel, theoretically, you have four or five products that you're going to be able to say, all right, look, we're already ready to go. You give me a quote, boom, we're off. Yeah, you said
1: it really well said, exactly like you described it um and that allowed me to be
0: like to find products much faster Um, i haven't heard of people talking about it in that context almost like in a bulk almost like bulk shopping but this is more like bulk product source or like product ideation which is really cool i like that idea i i and i see it with many people they just spend they tell me oh i spend hours i can't
1: find product and then I'm describing how, how you do the product research. What 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 happened? Like the, the, tell me the process. And I see the same process that I did, and and it just made me and it discouraged you because sometimes you work three four hours, you think you find a winning product, you go to get the quotes, you get do all these checks, and then one thing fall, and you say, oh, wow. and then you all the air that you have like blowing away, and you you kind of have to start from fresh. But if you do it in block box you're very focused also. So you're in mode to find products that meet these three criteria you can, your, your brain works much faster and, and much more focused w- comparing to if you stop and then you come back to find more products, you get it?
0: Right, yeah, it, it, it's a cycle that you, you can you can do it quicker and instead of like restarting the process, you get discouraged and you, you might miss something along the way, no matter, like if you do the same thing over and over and over again, you know, you might miss a step or might miss an opportunity. But if you do it all at once, you're really locked in and like, oh, this is cool. This is what's different. Throw it in the file, like you said. So you keep mentioning three criteria. What are these three criteria so we can all understand? Like what, what passes a sniff test for Tomer David?
1: Yeah. So first of all, I check that there is enough revenue. Uh, second thing, I check that there are new sellers that can actually make money. So I don't really look and check if there are uh, listings with 10,000 reviews and say, oh, no, because there is a guy with 10,000 reviews, I'm not going to get into this market. No, but I want to check if there are new sellers, new listings that have less than 200 reviews, for example, uh, that actually makes money. That's give me a validation that if I come with a new offer, with a better offer, I will also be able to sell as well. So that gives me a lot of confidence knowing that, okay, uh, even with those listings that have tens of thousands of reviews, new listings that come into the market can make money too. So that's for me, uh, something that I really check. And the third thing I check, if there is a main image opportunity, for me, main image opportunity, it's the way that the listings in the first, uh, or the search results, they look like. So I look at the, do I have a chance to stand out with my item? So that's what I call a main image opportunity. So. If, for example, I see that everyone are using beautiful packaging and they put, they lay out their items in a very nice way and all the colors are different and there is no really way for me to stand out. Even if my product is good and the pricing is good and the value that I bring to the market is good, I just can't market it through my main image. For me, it's a no. I'm not saying it's a, it's a bad item. It's just for me, I move on to a niche or a category or product that. I can get into it much easier. So if, uh, and for me, for example, if I see all these things, let's say uh, you sell plastic cups and they all show only plastic cups and it's white. For me, it's amazing. Why? Because I say uh, with my main image opportunity, I would come with something different color. Maybe like... Multicolor. Yeah. Or packaging and it will stand out immediately. So that's are the three things that I check uh and it's very easy to move on and you can find a lot of products like that that way because it's only three things um and then if not it doesn't meet your criteria you move on you move on until you
0: find something and then what's, you start to dig so deeper. what's what's your revenue threshold that has to meet that criteria like what does it have to do um so i look to see if the, the, obviously
1: obviously depends on where you are at your journey in amazon so these days i'm trying to go for items that make at least 100k but, okay. but when i started it was 10k so I would want to see like at least a couple of sellers and listings that make at least 10K. But these days I'm trying to make sure at least a couple of sellers making 100K. So there is a, enough room for
0: me to, you know, grow and, and make uh, You revenue. can take some of that pie away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you could, so so 10,000, that's monthly revenue at the end of the day that you're bringing up. Is that just Amazon revenue or is that like net profit that you're looking at?
1: so, so uh, 10,000 was back then. these days it's more 100k I want to go after. So I try to go after you know uh, listings that would make like uh, 30, 40, 50, 100 around this range up to
0: mm-hmm. 100. Okay. So when you're when you're doing that, obviously you can look at key, keyword search you has to start somewhere. you have to have an idea of what you're searching for, right? Amazon is now almost like Google like you can put anything in there and it could pop out something like yesterday, for example. My son broke this multi color pin, like each, like it has six different colors in it and you push it down and it pops up one color. I didn't know what to call that. So I just put in a bunch of different phrasing and it popped up a ton of different results. So that, that to me is like, I'm searching for something, but I don't know what I'm looking for. It's really hard to like visualize what that, what that phrasing would look like to you. Do you have that problem or like, how are you conceptualizing? Like what me, people might think for the product that you sell?
1: Yeah, uh, very good question. I sometimes encounter this as well. There are some items that I'm looking for and I just don't know how to describe them. And I, you know, like you, like trying to change phrases and all of that. So when I see items that there is no clear keyword or phrase that it's very obvious that it's the item, I try to stay away from those items. Maybe it's good, maybe it's not, but that's my approach because I say, why like confusing, like it's, it's too risky for me. I prefer to go on something that is obvious. If you sell like, uh, you know, uh, like a cell phone case, cell phone case or phone case, very clear on what is the the, the main keyword. At the other end, I know people would look at it different. Some other people maybe say, oh, but it's opportunity because you have more keywords to rank for. Uh, But for me, I just prefer to go on things that are straightforward, not seasonal, not like complicated and very straightforward.
0: I was going to say, are there other facets like seasonal products or like... um
1: yeah, that doesn't that doesn't
0: sn- uh, pass the sniff test for you.
1: This d- deeper uh, digging, like if it's electronic or this, it's something that I don't even look at from at the beginning, uh, because the the rate, uh, the return rate, obviously on electronics much higher. Many uh, things could go wrong in the manufacturing process. The quality control that you have to do is much strict. Uh, so I try to avoid these items uh, now. But definitely in the future, I would want to get into electronics um because you know it's a very cool idea that you take something from zero maybe and you kind of create it with uh engineers and stuff like that it's very interesting to me but yeah
0: as far as business there's policy- more risk with that yeah like you said like more p- moving anytime there's a moving part or electronic board you open yourself up to review scrutiny or problems with you know the goods and whatnot there, there's a lot more steps i'm sure you know along the way so interesting That that's exciting for you i'm sure what about um so in terms of that that process, where are you where are you doing like where's your inspiration coming from for products like people like Sharon and I hear a lots of great people who are very successful on Amazon who are saying like, hey, there's great inspiration that can become come from like Pinterest or just like looking uh Facebook groups, things like that. Where's your inspiration coming from to problem solve and, and develop a product from the get-go?
1: Yeah, so for me, it's a little uh, different. Um, uh, like I said, I'm all about speed. And yeah, if you go to Pinterest and uh, Etsy or other marketplaces, you can get ton of ideas. But for me, it's a time-consuming process because I need to do like to go to Pinterest and then find if there is any volume on on Amazon. So it's like double work for me. So I prefer to just stay on Amazon and look at numbers and look at data and look where the demand is. Uh, I'm not trying to create demand. So I'm going where the demand is. I don't take inspirations. I don't really have any personal uh, feelings or attachment to any product. I don't really care what I sell. I sell everything from uh, gun-related items to beauty and health products. So, you know, I don't don't have this attachment like maybe some people have. Or I do it in a very, like, uh, business-oriented numbers and data, uh,
0: you know, driven way. Absolutely. And what would you say to the people that, so what's the difference between you and someone who's passionate about that product and can kind of bring that like that brand voice internally to, to a certain like product or price of brands. Like how do you differentiate yourself from, you said like, you're not attached to these things. How do you build a brand voice in that capacity?
1: So you can still build brand brand. Uh, I agree that someone that is passionate and 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 you know know more about a niche or product could do a better job by creating this brand but i feel that at this point in amazon people you know don't really pay a lot of attention to brand kind of they're just looking for products and they don't really care who is really standing behind it they're not really checking the seller as a seller they check the product used and the listing uh but that's pretty much it in the future. From, from selling your business point of view, it's really important to have a brand and related items. So with that, I think that you should always think about it when you create a new brand that, you know, maybe at one point you will want to sell your business, make sure that you launch re- related items. But um, th- th- that's why I think that there is not a lot of value yet if you only sell on Amazon to really like understand everything about uh, the niche or product or really be passionate about, of course it helps because if you're passionate about something and you do it really with passion, you, you're going to do much better work than uh, if I don't care about what I do, you know, uh, for right. me, what motivates me, it's really like uh, making money, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and I, I see your point of view and I think it's definitely valid. I think we've had people on the show that has said both, uh, the ends of the spectrum, right? They've said, you know, value comes from someone being passionate and uh, you can really bring forth more ideation and really bring a voice to it. Um, but you personally haven't seen any difference from you being passionate about a product versus like you selling the product, knowing the data, doing it well. And then again, you're about ready to exit a couple of businesses. They haven't come to you and say, well, you know, if you actually cared about this product, you would get a hundred thousand dollars more. Like that doesn't happen. Like, exactly. is, do you do you think that an aggregator will see that or they'll just look strictly in your in your example or your own experience, they just look at data and that's it?
1: Not that's it, but I talked with maybe seven or eight aggregators in the last years, in the last year, and uh they can not really look at it. They do look on the related items. So if you have like really random products that are not really related to each other, for them, yeah, it's a problem because. It's harder for them to scale and just manage everything. And if, imagine that they buy like 100 businesses and then they are open to thousands of niches and products. So they look at it from point of view of managing things. The more easier to manage, the less suppliers, the less uh, kind of different niches that you have. It's easier to, for them to manage it and take over. So that's something they look at. But as far as like if the person is related to the brand, maybe it's a problem. Because if they're buying your business and you are so uh, connected to the brand or maybe your face is behind it, then it's not good for them,
0: you know? Do you you think that's something that people walk away more from if there's an offer and they know that's that connected to a person, they can't replicate it. Therefore, it's not something that, that, you know, like there's something about replicating someone's hard work and effort. You can do that, like to a point but putting like Mm -hmm. passion and like emotion into something where like, hey, like my daughter came up with the concept of this and like almost like the story element. Aggregators can't replicate that. So do you think they shy away from more products like that? Or do you think they would? For sure,
1: because at the end of the day, they want to make something that they can scale. And if, for example, let's say, I would say like a special uh, tool to uh, inspect diamonds, okay? And I created this because of my expertise. And and for them to uh, get this expertise, it will be very hard and time consuming. So they will look at it, is it easy to replicate? Anyone in our team can do it or we need Tomer, you know? So definitely I think they will look at things, not just in branding or passion or w- everything on how you created this business. They want to really know, is this something that uh, we can replicate, create as well? And def- definitely they check it, yeah.
0: That's awesome. I, I appreciate that insight as well. We actually did have a question uh, from a friend, of uh, Francois, over at Netherland. He asked a question for you personally, uh, Tomer. To How many units do you usually start with? Do you include major customizations to those products to test or just go off the shelf? Okay. Is that yeah? What, d- does that make sense to you?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I did change my approach and I'm still changing it because I like to test things. I don't just to do like to... You know, say, Oh, I order 500 units that's because of X, and you know, don't just don't test it out, don't like really check whether it's true or not. So, at the beginning, what I was doing is I would order 500 units and then, uh, testing the market, and then if it was a good selling item, I would just order more these days. And when I say back then, it was like two years ago. Um, and, and uh, these days I'm trying to order a higher uh, amount, like a uh, thousand, fifteen hundred at least. So I have enough inventory and not gonna get out of stock because it's very hard to get back your rankings and, and, and positions. Uh, if you're gonna be out of stock, and before it for me, I didn't really suffer from this, but uh, recently I see this like again and again when you're out of stock, it's it, you lose so much money, and it sometimes. It's the difference between a winning product or profitable product or product that you lose. And I have two examples from last year. Product that I launched with the 500 units from day one. Really, day one I was profitable and run out of stock, brought another 1500 units and the item is not selling, I'm losing. So what changed? Really, it's the algorithm that's pushing you. And before it wasn't like that. But these days I, I really feel that you need to order more inventory. As far as customizations, um, yeah, I try to improve the product. Sometimes it will be very small products and I just do the final version and go for it. Don't change it after. Like Sometimes I would change it, but don't test if this is good and just, uh, and then add another layer of change. No, I just try to go and, and fix the issue before and just go with that item. Of course, if I see like very bad reviews, Sometimes I will just let this item go and just sell it out or lose on that. Just let it die item. out. Yeah, or sometimes if it's a product I believe in, uh, we just create a new listing with improved version. So all the bad reviews will stay in the other listing. Just create a new listing, launch it again.
0: So, And I heard this speaking, of, uh, Francois had uh, David Dion of Amazon Experts yesterday. And I'm curious on your take. He asked the question, or David posed the, the point of, Amazon looks at inventory levels just as much as like good quality listings in terms of selling an FBA resources. Like if it's only one left or a couple left in stock, Amazon will not naturally elevate that listing higher or low. Uh, they'll actually push more listings with higher inventory because that's, you know, there's no, there's no threat of that going out of stock. So you as a person who plays with lots of inventory, sourcing and logistics and being that expert, what are your thoughts on That notion or that theory?
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting topic. That I don't know anyone that really tested it and have enough data to really say it in confident that it's true or not.
0: There's no proof, but there's there's a feeling.
1: There is a a a strong feeling. I feel this too, and I like lean toward like agree with that. That you know, if you have more inventory, Amazon algo will push you more. It makes a lot of sense, and and I think I like I see a trend where it's true. When you don't have a lot of inventory, they will not promote it. You. You're not going to get a lot of impressions with your uh, PPC campaigns, but it's nothing really that I can uh, point and say with uh, confidence that it's true or not, but it makes a lot of sense. Like, you know.
0: Interesting. So wh- so what do you, what do you say is the minimum that people should start with? If you're a first time seller and you're giving people uh, advice, how much inventory do you need to put in FBA warehousing in order think- to be sufficient?
1: Eight hundred, but you know it's a it's a question that it's too general and broad because every product would be different. If you launch a very competitive item, eight hundred won't really help you. You need maybe eight thousand. Or at the other end, if it's an expensive item that sells maybe hundred units a month, you don't want to order eight hundred. So it really depends on what the market size is, Um, and based on that, you can you, you you adjust your numbers
0: gotcha um before we wrap up here at the top of the hour about more like finding great opportunities on amazon what what categories do you find the most opportunity for amazon sellers that are going into private label where is that opportunity more often than not going to present itself as a home and garden or is it or like what what are those categories that you see like the most opportunity providing you know for you as a seller
1: personally Uh, I, I think that categories like tools and home improvement tools uh, are categories that, that there is now a lot of innovation there and it's easy for me to find a position. Yeah So you want to really like tech obviously it's very innovate environment so it will be very hard to come up with great ideas. But if you go to niches that are like old school or things that you know uh, are not really uh, advanced yet, Uh, I think you can find there are great opportunities because it's like really old companies. They don't really know. uh, Usually they're being controlled by big old brands and you as in like you know, as a new seller, you can really innovate and come up with USPs that can beat them.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And and I agree with you. I think like uh, I, I think a lot of the older categories are really kind of coming back into like, so, so I say older categories where success was, it kind of takes off and it has like these, these waves of popularity, right? Like a lot of people and during lockdown, I think there was a lot of like home improvement projects. People were wanting to get like hands dirty, doing stuff around the house. Uh, so, so there was natural ability for people to say like, Hey, I need these kinds of things. Uh, and that's where a lot of uh, innovation is potentially going to happen. I know now it's getting warmer. I'm like doing projects every weekend. I'm like, I need this tool. Why don't I have it? And I look on Amazon. I'm like, Oh, that's going to cool. Like that would, I throw it on my wish list. And I'm like, that would be cool to have in this kind of capacity again. So, um, but that being said, is there uh, both on that category level? But there was an article on Marketplace Pulse yesterday, which I always love to hear what they have to say. If you don't follow, you should definitely should. It's just marketplacepulse.com for people listening. They they came out with the this story on Amazon Business, and they show what Amazon Business is. It's kind of like the secret. Where you can buy in bulk, almost like Costco, but it's for businesses and like retail settings, uh, or like having different kinds of. Uh, if like you have a company of like five hundred people and you need to buy like uh, tables or things in bulk, like not just like soft goods, but like uh, chairs or things like that in bulk, and you have higher order per per company, basically through there. Have you have you yourself looked into like selling on Amazon Business? In terms of like bulk um, yeah. selling online
1: yeah so you can define a business price for your listing right mm-hmm. all of my listings i define this and i think that i enable the business like selling for businesses so i think it's something on the selling, but i don't really focus on that because okay. my items are not really meant like for offices or sure. things that people would buy in really bulk so it really depends on what you sell if you sell like like you know office supplies definitely that should be like your focus if you sell like uh yeah everything that you know appeal to big brand companies that would need like for example i think one of my friends he would selling like like office like um uh, like a, a binders and they they like he got like order of like 300 in one day so and the thing is it's not really paid right away it's with invoice so it was kind of hesitating to do it or not Um, but yeah, as far as,
0: yeah, it's a topic that I'm doing more research myself into because I think a lot of people, if they start to sell or they try to get into that again, it's different with like the work at home environment, but like even myself, I find myself buying more in bulk because if I buy one-off stuff, it's not cost effective, but if you buy more in bulk, naturally your order, uh, per order, like your value goes up if you're a seller. So I thought that was super fascinating to see both opportunity for a seller, but also as a consumer what is that like kind of threshold in order to buy in bulk? What is it? Is it like six pins or is it a hundred pins? Like, you know what I mean? Like there's a quantity psychology in terms of like each product of how much is enough and how much is too much. So yeah, I didn't know if you had any insider or, or thoughts on that, but uh, yeah, I, I loved what we had to talk about today. I would love to talk with you all day, but I know you have other businesses and things to do as well. What for, for people who are just have more questions about, you know, you yourself or a sourcing monster, like where can they find your, your channel? Uh, where can they, you know, just learn more about you or, you know, you consult, but you're not taking on new clients, but where, are they, if they want to talk with you and pick your brain, how can they find you?
1: Yeah. So through the YouTube channel, that's where I spend most of my time as far as like, you know, uh, social media. Um, I really encourage people to ask me questions on, you know, every video and I reply to them personally. So that's how I communicate with them as far as like, uh really like you said like uh working with people and coaching people i do one-on-one coaching but since i'm busy with my two brands you know it's something that i do really on the side with selected uh, people but you know uh, in the future maybe i'll have more time
0: for that when that's i that's awesome man in the 2021 what's your focus is it is it going to be growing youtube
1: uh, one of the goals is to growing YouTube. but My goal is to grow to 10,000 subscribers from 1,000. So I hope I can reach this goal. Hey, let's
0: get them there. Like if you're watching this, go to Sourcing Monster on YouTube. Just search Sourcing Monster and make sure you're subscribing. We'll, we'll, we'll bump those numbers up a couple times because I know I personally subscribe. You have so much great content, lots of friends of the show that you're bringing on. Uh, is that something that you've always naturally just been like, I'm going to interview people? Uh, you do a lot about oh. just yourself too, but... What was kind of that progression like?
1: Yeah, so it's something new that I figured that because I have the YouTube channel, I can approach people and interview them. And to be honest, um, that's a way for me to learn more by interviewing people. And- I relate with
0: you. (laughs) And
1: and, and, you know, you have like a great bonus out of it that people can see it and get value out of it too. So, um, you know, you're killing like two birds with one stone here and um that's really something i started like uh, just recently that's the end of last year and yeah we, we got
0: one <laughs> lisa lisa go in and subscribe so uh we appreciate that lisa i hope lisa that you're also subscribed to ping pong payments youtube channel as well you better be um as well but they have a great show as well lisa and actually francois just started a podcast link up uh you know uh i i'm gonna butcher the name and i was actually just a guest on it so uh, linked up leaders, I believe is what it's called. So they, they have a great uh, channel as well, you should check out. But yeah, Tomer, fantastic stuff today. Um, you're always doing great stuff in the space. I, I know you you kind of cover everything. And you're also potentially going to exit your business. So I, I would say that's at your top of your list. Uh, linked up leaders is what Lisa said. So I apologize, like everyone go ahead and subscribe to linked up leaders uh, channel as well in uh, the podcast. But uh, yeah, congratulations on all the success. Obviously, just being the Amazon in the little amount of time that you have been um but also just continue to grow your business to success i'm 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 gonna be watching uh you you grow that so that's exciting stuff congratulations
1: thank you thank you and i will keep following you guys as well
0: please yeah please please don't just like listen and then you're out but uh yeah we appreciate the support and you that just like uh uh, you we want to bring value to everyone who you know the nuggets of information we can out of each guest so we appreciate your time uh today so Thank you so much for hopping on. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me, and I hope to be here in the future.
0: Oh, you definitely will. Friend of the show now, Tomer David. Thanks again, Tomer. Uh, Again, for everyone who is, uh, if this is your first time or this is your 76th time, again, this is Crossover Commerce. We go live almost every single day, four to five times per week. This week, I'm going live only three times because we have a really cool project going on tomorrow. Go ahead and subscribe to the PingBone Payments YouTube channel. We're going to be doing a quick roundtable about selling on uh, believe it or not, we're going to be talking about selling in Australia and New Zealand. So definitely uh, our, yeah, New Zealand to uh, for Amazon sellers all around the world. So I have a couple of exciting guests. Francois will be a guest as well as a couple other uh, service providers from around the world who are going to be talking about going into those marketplaces. It's is going to be like a four-part series. So definitely check out our YouTube page for that. That will be posted later today. And then also on Friday, we'll be going live with Liz Downing from uh, Tiki Metrics. She'll be talking about building out brands. Uh, that That's also posted. Follow us on the Crossover Commerce YouTube page, uh, or excuse me, uh, Facebook page. Uh, just search Crossover Commerce with Ryan Kramer. Go ahead and subscribe to that and follow that to make sure that you get notified of future episodes. And then next week, packed full of more and more people coming on board. We're going to keep bringing you more amazing guests and industry leaders in the Amazon and e-commerce space. For Tomer David of Sourcing Monster, I'm Ron Kramer with PingPong Payments. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Crossover Commerce. Take care, everyone.